Stingbats and social reprobates. This is Reverend Orr welcoming you to another electrifying, stimulating, and totally off the wall sensational episode of Killed by Desk. The only show that answers the question that no one's asking what to those misfit musicians, weirdo artists, and oddball scenester mainstays do to make a living. Prepare to have your minds completely and totally blown for the details you never thought you'd want to know. The ups, the downs, the conference calls gone wrong, the co worker questions, the dress codes, and what they've learned and what they wish they hadn't. And if they're at all happy where they are and what they've become. From selling out to doubling down, let's talk punk rock business and what happens when the two get all mixed up. Here's your host, Bill Florio. Yo, this is Bill Florio. Yo, this is MC Charlie Boswell. Hey, it's Dave Harrison. Today we got the great Tony Erba on Nine Shocks Terror, Face Value, Cleveland, Hardcore. Great dude. This was awesome. This was a fun one. He is definitely funny, smart, you know, brutally honest. It was a, definitely a good interview and a great conversation. Sometimes we're like, oh, you know, we get someone who does construction or whatever. Are we going to have enough questions? But like, there's a lot to talk about, especially when you're when you're facing up against like I'm, you know, better than marketing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's okay, Charlie. We got you another teacher coming up soon. <laughs> but you know, it's 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 like uh, I feel like uh, Tony has a, a really uh, solid approach to life. I mean, it's totally balls out and like, hey, I'm just going to freaking do this and screw you all. <laughs> so <laughs> I love that. And, I, exactly. I, you know, and you could see it when you see his bands play. It's a driving force. And I, I'm glad that he explained about how Cleveland is a special place as well, because I feel the same way. You have a special spot in your heart for Cleveland? Absolutely. Yeah. Now you, you think it's the Midwest, but then you stay there for a day or two and you're like, oh, this place is very different. It's into itself. There's no other Cleveland out there. It's kind of fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> It's better than Pittsburgh. It's it's nothing like Pittsburgh. It's nothing like <laughs> Pittsburgh. You think it's going to be like Pittsburgh, and it's not. So, you know, it, for better or for worse, like, there's a reason why there's a good amount of decent music coming out of there. All right, let's roll the tape. So we usually start this out. If you could introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do for a living. Uh, well, first, have, have we ever actually met in real life? Are, are we, yeah, I was uh, in the Shemps. Oh, the Shemps. Oh, okay, great. Uh, I, I still have the fucking, a worthy fucking adversary shirt. <laughs> I forgot <laughs> that existed. <laughs> hey. Awesome. Anywho, uh, Tony Irma from Cleveland. That's who I am. Uh, what else would you like to know? What do you do for a living? I'm a mechanical insulator uh, in Union Local 3 out of Cleveland. Local 3? Local 3. That's different than Local 3 in New York. Typically known as Local 3 or 4 DUIs. our uh, rank and file (laughs) what's the significance of that number like what's one and two the third one they count them i don't know if it's when it was like maybe it was the third local chartered for this kind of work i don't know it's a pretty we just had our 100th anniversary maybe five six years ago so it's a it's an old local who knows so wait exactly what does it focus to me that sounds like plumbing but i know it's not plumbing can you explain a little bit more about what you what you actually do on the job? Yeah, it's t- definitely tied into plumbing and the pipe fitters and the the uh, sheet metal workers, aka the tenders. Are those different locals? 
Those are different locals, yeah. So everyone has a, a very specific task. You do not do someone else's work that's infringing on their trade and you'll have a, a big fucking problem. The business agent for the other local will come out and it'll be a big, we have agreements, right? So the, uh, the, the tinners, the sheet metal workers who install duct, duct will sweat. The reason we insulate pipe and duct and pumps is because it'll either sweat due to condensation uh, or you'll lose a tremendous amount of energy through via heat loss uh, and the building will be hot as hell. So it's a, uh, it's very, especially with the move towards green energy, it's very energy efficient besides not having your building be a rainforest to insulate. <laughs> you know, you don't put that insulation on that like flakes off and gets in your hair when you open a ceiling tile. Do you? No, no, that's like, yeah, well, fucking me too, because it gets them, you know, all over the place. And don't you hate those bastards that don't cut those freaking rods on this, on this hot, hot, hot drop ceilings out of the spikes on the end and they go right into your head? Dude, it's, it's fucking, I've come so close to poking out my eye, ripping my ear off. No. I think they do it on purpose. They're trying to kill all the other locals, probably. <laughs> <laughs> you ever see guys feud from back a hundred years ago? <laughs> do you ever see guys hang Sealy grid? They're not, you know, they're not Mensa candidates. <laughs> <laughs> is, wait, is there a ceiling grid union? Who does that? I think the carpenters do it, but there's like usually the dipshittiest of the dipship carpenters do that. <laughs> Phil, did you ever know anybody in the carpenters union? Do I? Yeah, I know a ton of them. Yes, I do. So do you, Charlie. <laughs> I have a question related there, to that. He, he wasn't up there on the Mensa charts. I have either. a question related to that, <laughs> oh, <God>. actually. <laughs> Hold on, we find it. Basically, we know someone who once put the elevator on the wrong side of the building because the blueprint was upside down. Uh, <laughs> and, and he owns up to it. Uh, what was the biggest thing you ever messed up? <laughs> I, uh, like the first job I was on as an apprentice, I was up in a, a, a mechanical room, which is a, a, typically a whole floor of a building, depending on how big the building is, or just a room in a building. Uh, this happened to be a whole floor uh, of a building. It was a hospital we were doing. And it was like, I hadn't really used lifts a whole lot before. I, I worked for uh, telecom for years before that. And I used bucket trucks and stuff, but not really a scissor lift. And I ran this scissor lift up and uh, with great aplomb. And I hit a, uh, a sprinkler line and flooded the floor, the entire floor. With you hit the sprinkler line with the, with the lift? With the lift, yeah. I hit the fucking oh, sprinkler wow. line, and it was a fucking mess, and I was, like, flipping out. You must have been going up pretty high. Well, it was it was a low, it was pretty low. Yeah, I was going up high, but not super high. I just basically... Oh, like the sprinkler was at, like, ceiling level. And you were yes, yes, yes. We hit the little... But there was, no, there was no ceiling there at the time. No, it was a, it's a mechanical room. There's no ceilings there. Oh, okay. It's a mechanical room. Yeah, so I fucked it up pretty bad, and it was, like... Well, it's better to flood the mechanical room than the office space or something. Yeah, right. Right. Then I fucking flooded my pants with piss after that. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. Now, now I want to know why you got out of telecom. Just <laughs> uh, make more money, basically. I mean, it sucks doing that shit here in uh, in the Northeast where you have winters uh, throwing your ladder over uh, people's fences and ten degree weather with dogs coming at you. You can't feel your fucking balls, your hands. The meter doesn't work. You know, it, it sucks. That sounds. I go straight to insulation. My balls are freezing off. <laughs> yeah, right. It just it, it sucked. I mean, basically, to be honest, I thought I'd retire from that shop, and I was my whole plan was I'm going to move to San Diego uh, and, and and just transfer with the company Cox Communications. But 
they got wind of me and this other dude uh, trying to organize, and uh, they can't come out and fire you for trying to unionize, but they can uh, go on a fishing expedition for as long as it takes, and eventually they'll get you out, you know, and that's what happened to me. What, Ben, what have you been in in San Diego, though? Not fucking... Man uh, is the bastard? Not the locust, that's for goddamn sure. <laughs> I can't wait. No, they weren't. I can't think of a good band from San Diego. You might have changed. You might have changed the world if you moved there. Yeah, I would have been a battalion of ants. Point my talent level. I'm just. I'm just imagining if you were in San Diego and happy with the weather and everything was perfect, you, you probably wouldn't have had the level of anger and rage that you have in all the Cleveland bands. Well, I probably was still got fucking dumped by chicks. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think there'd be anger enough anger to go around. No futility, <laughs> frustration. So, so how did you get into construction stuff? That is that a family thing? No, your dad was a barber, right? Yeah, he he, he was a barber. He owned a barber college, and he had like you know he had his finger in all different kinds of pies. He was, he was a silent owner of a bar, and had uh, I think he had he had a sports book and that kind of thing. But uh, he he was a good provider. Uh, but my parents divorced when I was young, and then there I was just totally rudderless. And uh, then I caught the bug of like I was in the heavy metal in like 1984, 83, 84, and then I discovered you know just like everyone else, punk and the local bands, and then I just that's all I ever wanted to do, to be honest. I never had a overwhelming, like, uh, you know, I never said when I was a kid, I'm going to be a fireman or uh, uh, an astronaut or anything like that. All I wanted to do, a lofty pursuit, was being a punk band or a hard rock band and go to California on tour. So, so I did. And then I did it again for three plus decades. Uh, but somewhere in the middle of that, I woke up one day and said, I really, I, I would I always have good jobs, like good work with the tools kind of jobs, whether it was, uh, I worked as a finish grinder for a long time. That's kind of like a manual CNC guy. Is that like a Scandinavian thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then I, so I did that and uh, that, I ended up quitting that job and just going on tour. And eventually they're like, you just fucking take off too much time. And I always found good jobs, but then I'd always quit them because the bands just totally dictated everything from the type of job I held, where I lived, who I, you know, the kind of relationships I was in. And one day I said, you know, I got to go, if I have to go to work every day, like there's no avoiding it, I should find something that, that I can somehow do fairly well and make as much money as I can for the short, the smallest amount of cash and time outlay. So college was out and I was working uh, for commercial HVAC. I did go to school for that in 87, but then I walked away from that. And I, I kind of went back into it and I uh, was on a job site with this guy from the insulators union and I'd see him every day for like two weeks. And we got to talking and we had some shared, we knew some shared people. This is a very small town. And one thing led to another and he's, yeah, go down the hall, use my name, blah, blah. He probably didn't think I was actually going to do it, but I did. And that turned out someone on the apprenticeship board, I grew up with the guy. He was lived across the street. Uh, and one thing led to another. And at the age of, I don't know, 39, was just pretty long in the tooth for starting a whole new career, let alone an apprenticeship with fucking 19-year-olds and 20-year-olds. That's how I ended up getting in. I was wondering if there was an age limit to that. So if I, if I, you know, if I wanted to switch, 
would they even take like a 49 year old as an apprentice? Yeah, we had a, we had like a 52 year old dude in the apprenticeship class. He booked out, he ended up becoming a journeyman and he, he ended up moving away. But, uh, yeah, they'll take anyone, especially in this town. If you have an Irish last name, cause it's an Irish local through and through. That leaves you out, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. Um, <laughs> Dave's all right. <laughs> it's technically British, but it's fine. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> I thought the Irish hate the British. No, we're, 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 we're actually, we're Irish, but we have a British, la- it's a whole big thing. I, can, I saw I that can, Braveheart movie. It's I like can name the right... I can name the right counties and talk to them and and uh, and get in. Um, but uh, you also got the whiskey. My mother, my mother's from Bronx County. <laughs> ah, County Bronx. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so Tony, I have a I have a buddy who uh, ended up with I think through his father ended up with a job that's you know it's a it's a union gig and he like tests the temperature of water and whatnot but he's he barely has to show up for that job so so how do you get to the level where you you get the kind of job where you don't even have to show up and they send you a paycheck is that like I all about seniority? The mafia i thought that was youngstown <laughs> hey now now you're <laughs> that guy sounds like he's doing what's called destructive sampling where you go you uh they they check weld beads, they check fire stopping, and yeah, temperature of water and shit like that. Uh, I know a couple of dudes doing that. Yeah, it's a lot of sitting in the truck on your iPad filling out like forms and shit like that. Uh, well, he he told me he brings a six pack to work every day and just you know and just hangs out. He works he works overnights too, I think, and he uh, pretty much uh, no one to answer to. And I figure there's got to be a level to those to those gigs, right? Like you've got to. I'd say either nepotism or you drink with the right guy or whatever. I mean, you can't just. Or you're in the mafia. Well, there is no mafia. No. I what mean, about, it sounds, it sounds like your, your dad that, had the bookmaking going on and it wasn't enough. Uh, no, he, he did well. It was just like he, you know, uh, that was kind of like he was a product of his environment, but he was never like a, a wise guy. His my, his uncle was his uncle was uh, a, a bad man. He wasn't even a romantic, a romantic mob guy like, you know, like glamorous. He was like just a bad piece of shit guy. But my dad was pretty much a good citizen. He just, you know, cut a few corners and, you know, that type of thing, you know, <laughs> was, uh, was was the barber college a grift? I would assume that's a total grift. <laughs> not the guy down by St. Mark's but that's just attack this guy's family guys <laughs> no I'm, I'm, I'm impressed have you ever seen Christmas attack each other <laughs> <laughs> no my dad was he, he would do this every like when I was a kid I'd go ride my bike up to the barbershop on Saturdays and uh, I'd help him sweep up and then it was like you know like bonding and then uh, we'd go down to Captain Frank's for, for dinner and every time I'd go there He'd take out a roll of adding machine tape and he goes, now, Anthony, this is what I made last week. And I'm like young and I don't I don't know if this is good or bad. I'm like, ooh, OK, cool. And then he'd take out an identical almost roll of adding machine tape. And then he'd say, no, Anthony, this is what Uncle Sam thinks I made last week. <laughs> <laughs> he would do this every Saturday as if, as if he's showing me for the first time, which was like, you know, like the, the poodle jumping through a hoop, you know, like, OK, dad, very impressive. <laughs> And that's what you do with the rest of the band on tour. You're like, this is what this is what you think we made. This is what we actually made. There's always a booking fee. You know? <laughs> <laughs> breaking my balls for nothing for these dummies to get drunk and ride in the back of the vehicle. <laughs> so I asked one of your coworkers what unique ability you bring to the job. And he said your cursing is pure poetry. 
<laughs> Are there any other skills you brought from playing in bands that you that you use on the job today? Yeah, networking and believe it or not, there's a, I have an odd sort of charisma or else no one would ever came to see my bands, right? If you're fronting a band and you're just some dud or drip, your probably band is no one's going to ever care about it. So I'm able to talk to people. I'm fairly educated, but I can slip into these dem dos real quick, depending on the audience. <laughs> so code switching, that, that, that's an interesting dynamic. How did that happen? So you do, you have that, that working class kind of, you probably have to with the job, but I mean, not having a traditional education in that sense. Does that bother you if you have to spend too much time like talking down and, and not being able to, to be as, as smart and witty as you are? Well, thanks for saying I'm smart and witty. I don't know that that's true, but it, it's nice of you to say. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think there's all kinds of people that you come up against in the trades. And there's there's people that you, uh, uh, at first glance, you might think that these people are complete dummies. And, and, and sometimes you're, you're, you're surprised. And then sometimes there's people that you think that especially like the general contractors and uh, the kind of the suits, they don't know anything, but they they look the part. It's like it's like uh, they're they're almost cosplaying these people and they're completely dumb. All they know is push the job, push, 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 push with no they don't understand the 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 practicalities and the, and the, and the obstacles facing the, I think feel those people are complete fucking dumb oxes. And, and the, the, the iron worker is probably more sublime than those guys, but it doesn't bother me. I, I, I try to get along with everyone and relate to people. And my dad always told me to see everything from all angles and adapt. And uh, I think that's, it, I don't think it's being duplicitous or phony. I think it's a smart way to go through life. I never wanted to live in a bubble and uh, the job site is certainly not a bubble. Well, some, sometimes you're playing a show in Finland. Sometimes you're playing a show in Poland. Right? It's not the same yeah, thing. Both lands. They both have land on that of them, so there's commonality. They're crazy as fuck and have shitty food. So there we go. <laughs> and Finland has the grind. <laughs> So is there a part of you, you mentioned only wanting to play in bands and, and kind of working as a means to an end to be able to do that with the hindsight you have now, do you wish that you had put more thought into what you would do for a career besides, you know, and beyond music or are you, are you happy with the decisions that you've made in that sense? No, I definitely would have. Uh, I just, I never had any balance in life. I wanted to do the band thing so badly. It was the only place where I ever had any kind of, uh, I don't know wanna, if I want to say acclaim or, or, or popularity, but it was the only place that I ever, like anyone ever said, dude, you rule or dude, this that was sweet or whatever. And I, plus I loved the music. I, I, I loved the original spirit that I found. But yeah, of course, I, with hindsight, also, I didn't have any direction at home. My dad was gone and I didn't get to see him a whole lot. My parents had a horrible, brutal, horrible divorce. And my mom just basically raised me like a veal, just like I wasn't allowed to do anything, anything I liked. She found it to be anti-Catholic. And uh, so it was just pushed on me. There just was no college disgust at all. It was just completely out of it would be like saying I am going to uh, become a chess champion. It, it, it just was so far-fetched that it was just basically you're going to get a job and you're going to get the hell out of the house. And that's it just hammered on me. You, My mom, every day, like your summer vacation, you know, you're all stoked and, and woo, I'm going to, man, I'm going to BMX all summer, fucking, you know, go to fucking buy records every other day and see my friends and go to McDonald's and stuff. And my mom would just, I just came from McDonald's <laughs> anarchy burger, hold the government. But, uh, 
my mom was just like, oh, no, you're not going to lay around out here. I, you, you, I don't care if you have to take the shoe leather express. You're going to pound the pavement and get a job. Like, with what skills? Uh, but that was just it. Get a job and get out. My sister was the one. I was the oldest. My sister was the one that was really uh, lionized in my mom's eyes. She was the golden child and, and went off to college. And, and, and I don't think she's ever even kissed a, a boy before. She's so pious. And I'm not speaking ill of my sister. She's my sister and has done well for herself. And she's very intelligent. She was clearly my mother's favorite. And any kind of steering towards a career or success was was geared towards her. And my brother resembled me in, in, in interests and, and, and personality and, and being a bit of a rascal. So my mom was just, I think both my, myself and my brother probably really reminded my mother of my dad, who she just can't stand. Uh, so it was just like, get a job and get the hell out of the house. And then my sisters received the attention and and the uh, counseling and, and, and career choices and all that kind of stuff. It was just like college is completely, you know, what do you want to do? I just, there was none of what do you want to do? It's just like, get a job. Had I been able to have all this knowledge and all this kind of, all these tools at my disposal in hindsight, I would have loved to get into like, uh, become like a, a forensic investigator or something like that, uh, or, or possibly a litigator, because I can run a, my mouth big time. Uh, <laughs> I have a cousin, uh, or my uncle Basil, he's an attorney. And then my uncle Frank, he was high up in Cuyahoga County. That's the, the county that Cleveland is in, Cuyahoga County. He was high up in Cuyahoga County politics. And well, he's in prison now for uh, embezzlement and whatnot. Uh, we had a big scandal here in town. The head of the Democratic County uh, or, or, or uh, committee here in Cleveland, uh, Jimmy DeMora, he was uh, just your guard. You know, he didn't even do anything all that bad. Just uh, he got some whores in Vegas and so, you know, new, new driveway and shit, you know, kind of garden variety politician grift, you know. Well, they sent him away for 28 years. I mean, they really made an example of this guy. And my Uncle Frank was his was basically his understudy and his bagman. And he so he went down with the ship. But uh, I didn't even get a driveway. No, fuck. No, he didn't get a driveway. He basically. And he basically took, uh, he jumped at a chance for a plea deal because he's gay and didn't, he, he thought it, by doing that, it wouldn't come out in the media. But I mean, anyone ever looked at Uncle Frank knew he was gay uh, right off the rip. So he, he ended up taking a plea and, uh, and that's that. But so I have that running through our family on my father's side. There's people and judges and, and lawyers and, and uh, pol pol political bigwigs. I, I think I would have been somewhere slotted in there. Just something you could use. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I've always excelled at things where, besides this that I do now, I've always found my best uh, capabilities came with just running my mouth and faking it till I made it in one way or another, you know? Well, we talk, you know, we talk about that a lot on the show. I mean, uh, it seems like there's a very, there's a very big overlap between people in, in, into punk rock and into the scene and that, that, that fake it till you make it thing. And, and even if it's, you know, sometimes the people are totally qualified for what they can do, but they just have that inferiority complex, I guess, which is what drives you or draws you to punk rock in the first place is like, you know, you're an outcast. So you find, you know, the place where you're accepted. And I feel like it's the same thing with, with people a lot of times in their abilities. I mean, you, you obviously had and continue to have a, a desire to learn and, and, and educate and, and read and, and do all that stuff. So, I mean, there had to have been something 
in there that you still pursued, even if you didn't see it as a means to an end from a from a career perspective? Oh, I think you're absolutely right. I think that people involved in this, at least from our era, were very personality driven. And uh, we were we're all I think anyone that performs music or is involved in art or the, this kind of stuff, they're very creative minded, uh, but their creativity is harnessed in in unorthodox ways and we're all a bit of uh, megalomaniacs because by virtue of us creating something and then charging people to go to a building to see us do it you know we we are peacocking to a certain point um but we also make good like you know we're kind of bold people like us we're, we're bold and we're like whereas people are like you know like might do well academically within a certain structured framework a lot of times we're kind of like uh desperados uh, that aren't afraid of being pirates. And uh, I've always been, you know, a lot of my, I don't want to say success, because I guess success is measured by different standards, by uh, to different standards by different people. But whatever success I've had has been, uh, a lot of it on my end has been kind of a form of revenge. Like, uh, you know, uh, I have to show people that I'm not a chubby fuck up that can't get attention from women or you know like i'm not getting my ass beat anymore by bullies type situation you know and then it, it can be helpful and it can also be destructive well i mean you you're also putting gates on it too i mean it's it's revenge to a level you feel comfortable you're still you're still you know naming your bands fuck you pay me you know you're still making music that's not going to be commercially accepted in that sense so even if you look at it from a music perspective like coming up at the time you came up you know and doing all you know doing that music like you could have gone a corporate route and gotten you know even even doing like what you know signing on to the fucking victory kind of you know integrity path of like you know of of, of doing all that stuff like you could have done that but you chose not to so there's got to be a reason behind that i think it's like uh you're right. And it's like, just, I can't help it. I, I just can't help it. Like that victory guy, actually, they treat us good on that compilation, but it was like the fucking shark is, is, is speeding up the ramp with this shit by 1990 already. You know, like this is becoming like, like the rich kids ski club in high school. Like these snooty cocked suckers with the fucking <laughs> press uniforms and all this kind of stuff. I just, I was just too much of a an individualist to really. I played along for a while, and I'm like, "This is not me." These people are like, I, "Good for them." I met a lot of cool people in that scene. Uh, some of them dear friends with to this day, but it was not really me. I, and I just couldn't keep my mouth shut. I just would, didn't want to fucking dress up like that. I looked ludicrous dressing up like that and singing that. Did you ever go to a Pogue show and cuff your jeans up to your knees? Because that's what I, Tony uh, Victory did. <laughs> yeah. well, you know funny that, that guy was a straight shooter with me i i can't lie it's i mean he's low-hanging fruit right but um, <laughs> i'm just saying this is what i witnessed he was very nice to me as well he asked me for a ride to the pogue show and when he's walking away we're like hey that dude cuffed his pants up to his knees what's wrong with him <laughs> <laughs> well he uh you know uh when i put out that h100 single that guy bought 100 copies right off the rip paid me right away whereas getting paid from profane existence was like you know <laughs> who do i have to blow and what fucking, uh, 
uh, uh, fucking bathroom stall at ABC No Rio is he located? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I have a question. Felix Havoc is also at the construction. Have you ever talked to him about it? Yeah, Felix is a great guy. I really miss him, and uh, he helped our band tremendously. I, I really love Felix, and when you got to know him, you could he could really open up instead of being so rigid and stuff. I, I like Felix a lot. I, I wish we kept in touch, but. He seems to really be walled off from uh, from just about all this uh, hardcore stuff, and he has been for years. But when he was really in cahoots with our band, driving us around and stuff, um, he was just kind of starting to do that. He was really that was like almost like a side thing for him. Uh, uh, he was really focused on the label, and I mean, fuck, he sold twenty thousand copies of the House Rotten single. He he had his fucking work cut out for him. I mean, that dude was. He he said something that I thought was really cool and always stuck with me. He goes, you know, why can't your band be like uh, uh, DRI where you go in any record store and the record's there? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, why can't we, you know? And that was like such a sweet thing to hear someone say, like, this guy really wants to fucking sink all his energy and stuff into our band. I, I, re- I really like the dude. But yeah, he's gone on to be a, like a big, he's a big contractor there uh, in, yeah. in a He's very successful, and, and and from what I understand, what he's doing is also has like a kind of an ethical element to it, right? He's building houses for for uh, people in poverty and stuff like that, right? Uh, I, 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 I don't think so. Know. It would not surprise me. I, I do not there. I do not think that there's anything fake about Felix. No, 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 no. And also, I mean, Os Rotten, like they ran out of gas in front of us once, so selling twenty thousand <laughs> copies for them sounds like a huge feat. Yeah, those dudes are good dudes. I still see uh, Corey and Erica around. Those dudes were, uh, were were the real deal as well. So how important do you think wrestling's influence on hardcore is, either personally or overall? From what you were just talking about, that that boasting and that kind of fake it till you make it, sounds like it, it's very compatible. The way it resonated with me is, I mean, I was always a fan. I mean, growing up in Cleveland, we had the NWF, which went out of business in the late seventies, but our local hero was the good guy, Johnny Powers. And he would always feud with Bulldog Brower. But after a while, like, and, and of course, true to form, the baby faces are usually shit bags. And he was like the hero of the show. He was the hero of our promotion and the number one good guy. But in reality, he burned a lot of people. He opened a chain of health clubs. My dad bought a two-year membership to his the Johnny Powers Health Spa. Uh, closed in three months. Never got a refund. My dad immediately turned heel on him, hung the Brower-powered towel up in the barbershop. <laughs> Anthony, fuck Johnny Powers. You know Johnny Powers, Anthony? His real last name is Rizzo. He's a, what is he, ashamed to be Italian? Uh, <laughs> he hated, he hated uh, uh, Johnny Powers after that. But, um, uh, I thought it was like, you know, the good guy thing is like, it's like, so like, you know, you got to come out there and talk to the announcer, like, well, Gordon, I'm going to give my all in the match tonight. And, and this, uh, my competitor, you know, the, my opponent tonight, that, that Kevin Sullivan's one tough opponent. And I'm just going to, uh, uh, take my vitamins and kiss babies. I'm hoping to do my best Gordon. Hopefully I'll come out on top. And, uh, then, you know, the heel comes out and he's like, especially Ernie Ladd, he'd be like, yep, 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 yep. Shut your pothole, Mr. Announcer Man, and listen to what the big cat says. And I'm like, who wouldn't want to be able to walk around? You can't do that in public. You can't tell your boss, yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> boss, man, shut your pothole. But uh, in, the, in the context of getting up on a stage and not only having an audience react positively to that, 
going ape shit. And they probably think, oh, that guy's that's hilarious. He's playing a persona. Like, that's no persona. Like, I, I really think you people are beneath me. Go fuck yourself. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have shirts for one bucks in the back. <laughs> so was your goal to be the heel of the Cleveland hardcore scene? No, it wasn't my goal. It's just He's the he's the face. It's just everyone thinks he's the heel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually a soft touch and have fucking been generous to a fault like an idiot. Uh, there are heels in this town that have done really bad things for no reason. Uh, and that's not me. But persona-wise, uh, you're able to say a bunch of shit and uh, have a, a, a cavalier uh, attitude, kind of like a rogue attitude. And uh, you're kind of half-joking, half-not type of situation. And that's, I suppose that's really true-to-form facet of my personality. That's entertainment to me. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> if I saw someone, if I walked into a club and saw someone like busting balls like that, and obviously tongue in cheek, but at the same time, like you know, he you can tell that this just like Andy Kaufman, you know, like in a very absurdist, but there's a very cutting component to his jokes and his and his his skits and stuff, and that's I'd say that really is is very much me. I'm going to stop the conversation for one second and tell you you enjoyed this conversation there's tons more where this came from for only five dollars a month you can get full episodes with each of our guests for a total of five episodes per month want to help out with some gas money to get us the next show we have merch and more at killedbydesk.com now let's get back to the show having married someone from michigan i know that that's not a midwest type of humor you know that's that works in new york really well it works in certain areas philadelphia boston i feel like that's not a midwest sensibility so do you think it's just people confused by it i think cleveland is a land unto itself we're not really the midwest i think in the midwest i think of like indiana illinois cleveland is a very odd we're like cuba we're just an island unto ourselves and a very defeatist one at that we're a a town that in the 50s was, we were the most important town between Chicago and New York. And we were a big, big, we had a, a close to 950,000 people proper in the city of Cleveland. I think it has a very unique attitude uh, here in town. People are, it's, it's weird because there's a lot of culture here. Uh, we have world famous art museums and world famous medical uh, museums, but it's a town built on blue collar industry, steel and automotive, uh, automotive, and those are both gone and they're not coming back. So this town has a very snarky, very hard bitten approach to it. And it's just, I don't see it as any, I am who I am and the people around me are who, who they are without trying at it. It just is, you know, it just is. And I think it's different from mid, you know, we, we always get lumped in with the Midwest, but I see Midwesterners as kind of, just maybe a bit blander, maybe a bit more polite. It's like Punk uh, Planet, Punk Planet. Say no more. Ever read, read, ever read a whole issue of Punk Planet? Yeah, back when unreadable. No one read a whole issue of Punk Planet. But I'm just saying that's that's how I think of the Midwest, except Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, it's its own animal. I don't think it's the greatest place in the world. I don't like fucking mythologize it. It just happens to be home, and and that's I don't know how else to say it other than it's home. And people here seem to behave in a very different fashion than other people, especially when going out to California and then meeting people for the first time. When I would first go to these different areas, and they just look at me like I have a fucking dick growing out of my chin. Like, what, what the fuck is wrong with these people? They're also like, uh, you know, like either laid back or 
week. And I'm like, we let's go, chop, chop. We have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're young, you know. I just I don't know, man. In green. So as as have you ever written a song about something that happened at work? Uh oh my god. I'd really have to think about that. Yeah, you know, there's a fuck you pay me song. What is the name of that song? Get up at five in the morning, shake out some pills in my hand, uh, suck down some gas station coffee, pump five bucks in the van. I'm running late to this job site. The boss is an arrogant prick up on this rooftop all winter. This hot dog is making me sick. Uh, that's uh, what song is that? Fuck. I can't remember, but it's a generalized version of my work day. <laughs> <laughs> so, so no finish grinder for lunch that day? <laughs> no, no. That sounds like a, uh, yeah, that sounds like a, a sexual act. <laughs> <laughs> finish grinder. <laughs> I just yeah, throw a sandwich with some sticky fish in it. <laughs> well, you pre- grinder? No, man, I'm on finish grinder. <laughs> How prevalent are the Polish boys? I mean, like, <laughs> oh, is that? Well, yeah, uh, you know, you, have you seen American Splendor? So Harvey used to come into a place I worked at. This uh, uh, it was like a little deli slash uh, pizza slice place called Coventry uh, Pizza and Beverage. And he would come in and always get the Polish boy extra, extra spicy. And then he'd bitch about it's not spicy enough. And it's like we go through this dance. Every Friday, Saturday, he'd come in there, uh, and he was just a curmudgeonly prick, and not even that lovable, you know. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, where I live, I live in a suburb called Parma, and uh, this area, this little stretch of uh, neighborhood here, is is dubbed Ukrainian Village, and yeah, the Polish boys are prevalent. Is Polish there one and pierogies and 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 uh, uh, punchki? So Bill and I were just in Detroit, and everyone has their thoughts on on where you need to get a coney dog from. Is this, is, right, it, is there? Right, right. Is there a similar thing with Polish boys in Cleveland? Well, it was Coventry uh, Beverage and Pizza where I worked. They went under years ago. And then uh, a lot of people seem to really like Hot Sauce Williams. And now I'm sure one of your favorite participants in uh, in the, the lexicon of hardcore, one Chubby Fresh, uh, was uh, some kind of partial owner, allegedly, of a place called Mama's Boy, which was like uh, Polish boys and, and shit like that. So I don't know. Hot Sauce Williams seemed to be the uh, the go-to for that after Coventry Pizza closed. I don't know why, if you were an owner, you wouldn't call it Chubby Fresh. Well, like many things, who knows how much of an owner he actually was, but <laughs> positive that he was, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> You just got some free food, probably. <laughs> you know, the the man is uh, he's he's an operator, shall we say? So sometimes I understand you're assigned to a job as a foreman, sometimes not a foreman. Do you have a preference? Uh, yeah, I kind of don't like being a foreman because uh, it's just more responsibility for the same pay. Once you have X amount of men working underneath you, you're supposed to get like a dollar or two dollars over scale. But somehow I never quite get enough guys. <laughs> under me uh, <laughs> not to get the dollar or two dollars over scale but i end up doing all the same shit and i'll get a guy for a week and a half or two weeks or whatever and then he'll get pulled and i'm back to being uh, buried and i never get the dollar over or the two dollars uh, an hour over uh so i guess being a foreman is just like that's like <laughs> dude being a foreman uh at least in my trade in this particular local is a lot like when uh when the Shemps roll into town and there's 18 bands on the bill and the fucking pimply faced asshole promoter says, you guys are headlining. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't think he made his headline, but I, I, I seem to remember there was a band that played right before us at 9-11 was fake fest. <laughs> 9 11 was an inside job fest. Here in town? Yes. And uh Did I do the show? No, you were there. No, no, no. I'm saying, but but the band that played right before us, like we we were like, oh, we're gonna do this whole stage show. The band before us like had a skill saw and a and a and a shovel and really? tapes. Yeah, and they they just their their big act was they put the skill saw against the shovel blade and sparks flew all over the place. <laughs> and it was like oh, we can't compete with this. <laughs> That's a great lead in. Who doesn't like sparks? We couldn't yeah. compete with that. They they blew us away. Bill said it was a great move. Yeah. Like- <laughs> Not Sparks, the band. <laughs> Actual I, yeah. Sparks. You said, who said who doesn't like Sparks? <laughs> I bet that was a, a band called Apartment 213. I, I would be willing to. That sounds to right. That sounds right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, Steve was a good friend of mine, the singer of that band. He was a really close friend of mine. I got him the job at the grinding place, and then he became my roommate after his divorce. And he moved out to California, and he found Jesus, and he has Psalms tattoo all over his head now. Oh, wow. He worked as a grinder, but he was using a skill saw to grind down the shovel. Yeah. Maybe that's finished grinding. Was making a film. statement. <laughs> that's the finished grinding. One would have thought he would have availed himself of the more uh, uh, commercial quality tools here. Uh, <laughs> oh, he's definitely not getting into the carpenters union. <laughs> well, now he might be as a Christian. That's well, true. Yeah, right. <laughs> I heard the big guy is, uh, I heard the foreman's uh, quite influential in that, in those circles. Well, his studs better be 16 inches apart is all I can say. (laughs) (laughs) I found this local newspaper article that talked, that calls out Matthew Della Vidova as your doppelganger. You said something about, you said something about the local scene ceases being friendly and not bullying you. Does that count? Pardon me? You said the local scene is friendly to you and, and gives you some airs. Was that mean or was that like a joke? I don't I was just trying to figure out what your reaction to it was. Anytime you put my name in print, that's fine with me because that means the people are talking about the band and whatever. I think that was a friend of mine wrote that. I had a couple of friends at the newspaper. Uh, it was pretty I, funny. Yeah, I think that guy was my best man in my wedding, John Pekovic. <laughs> so he was just busting balls. <laughs> at least I wasn't a hockey player. And I don't care. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, or a Browns player. <laughs> but I never thought I looked like Delhi. It looked like he had a fucking Epstein bar or something. <laughs> I think it's the hair. It's the facial hair, right? Like, it's just the facial hair. <laughs> I guess. I'm swarthier than that Aussie fuck. <laughs> is, is there, like, any competition on the job? Like, is there like an element of proving yourself, like going an extra mile? Like, does it and does it like equate to like you know playing playing in a band and having other bands that you look up to play in the same bill? No, the competition is from uh, all these shops are pretty much besides the one I work at. Almost all these shops are are ran by legacies whose grandfathers and fathers and cousins and uncles were insulators, and then they start their own shop. And these guys are all there because of nepotism, their family. Uh, so when you get hired onto a shop like that, if you're any kind of a threat at all, uh, a lot of these guys will put the hand on you. You know, they'll fucking make life difficult for you if you pose a threat to them because you know they're they're there 
some of them are really good workers and some of them are, are dog shit. And if they're dog shit, then they're threatened by you. But they're really comp- they're really the only competition is ball washers, guys who fucking, you know, they just they fucking suck the boss's dick. You know, they're I call them ball washers because they're just they're like the Eddie Haskells, like, you know, just you see him like the he comes out to deliver material or to walk the job, and these guys are fucking walking and talking with him for a half hour. It's like you fucking prick you know exactly what these guys are doing you know they're fucking blowing the guy so uh they're they're pretty much they're pretty much the competition because they're weasels you know they're weasels and uh uh that's just pretty much the people you got to work out for because they'll put the hand on you uh to elevate themselves i mean do you ever get into a situation where you know you you got to speak out and you got to make changes and you know you're afraid of uh some sort of uh, retribution just for you know doing the right thing yeah, uh, I mean, there's ways to get rid of someone uh, if they're really doing wrong, and uh, I prefer that to. Um, I mean, I'm in my mid fifties. I'm gonna fucking fist fight anyone, but if push comes to shove, I'll always stand up for myself. Always, I had to grow up doing that because I was, I was a, the smallest, unathletic, chubby guy that had to stand up for himself, and I after a while became second nature. But. Uh, I've had to, you know, there's been people fucked up on drugs and, you know, uh, taking shortcuts, stealing, that kind of stuff. Like, here's the thing, you know, we start losing, uh, you know, we get a lot of work from different, uh, we're subcontractors. So we get work from plumbing outfits, pipe fitting outfits, uh, sheet metal outfits, and we sub for them because they're wrapping their pipe or wrapping their duct. And uh, if a guy's fucking fucking up and doing dangerous or bad stuff. And, and we stop, you know, we stop getting work from these contractors. That's bad for all of us. And that's taking my mortgage payment away and I'm not going to have it, you know? Yeah. There's a greater as, good. Yeah. I mean, a rising tide lifts all boats and, and you can have one guy that, that fucking puts a hole in that boat. That's not good for anyone. And uh, as far as a one-on-one thing, I only ever really got into it with one guy that I was like, I'm going to beat the fuck out of this guy or I'm going to attempt to. I mean, he's much younger than me and bigger than me and he'd probably kick my ass, but I would fucking hurt him, take an eye out or, or fucking rip his nuts off or something you know, <laughs> to let him know that, that he's, you know, fucked with the wrong guy. And that ended up not happening. And he's totally out of the trade now. Um, but that's the only time I really came close to like, Okay, motherfucker, let's go, you know. What are some misconceptions people have about the work you do? And what what's what's something that's like just not true? It could be about the actual work, it could be about the people on the job. Like what what's the thing that you think would surprise people the most? How hard we work. I mean, uh not every day is hard. Like today wasn't too bad except for the blazing hot sun, but um, you know, what really I hate more than anything is, is people who are like, oh, the unions, you know, we needed them once, but not now. Like, motherfucker, you would ne- First of all, this is a very niche industry, insulation, uh, mechanical insulation. No one wants to do this because it's dirty. It's itchy. The material we work with is carcinogenic. I always get a morbid chuckle out of the material. The, the, boxes, uh, the material comes in boxes that say on the side of the box, in big letters, warning, this material has been known to cause cancer in the state of California. And I'm like slapping my leg like, oh, oh, I'm in Ohio. <laughs> I happened here, not in my watch insulation. <laughs> 
so it's it's and we're the we're the last in because we have to wait till the ducks ran and the pipes ran and everything's tested and and, and and inspected and then we can cover it. Meanwhile, the fucking scummy carpenters are are burying us and 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 it's hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, get it done. Don't be seen doing it. Uh, but we work our balls off. This is a hard trade. I work harder now than I ever have. Well, I don't want to say I ever have, but I certainly uh, get as good as good as I give, and also. Uh, you know, um, they look, there's no paid time off. There's no, um, uh, uh, sick leave. There's none of that. You don't work, you don't get paid. So I can, they always say, well, you can take as much time off as you want. You know, it doesn't mean you'll have a job when you come back, but uh, that, that sucks. I mean, I want to go on tour, say it was, you know, operating band that we were actually doing something and hitting the road. If I went out for three weeks, uh, it's three grand out of my wallet that I don't see. And that's it. There's, there's no way around that. Um, and you know, layoffs are a, a fact of life. You, you know, it, it sucks. Most people don't even think about that. You just, you work your job and you know, it's yours to uh, keep or lose with this. I mean, everything is, is based on, uh, the flow of work and, uh, a project could be signed, sealed, and delivered, and all of a sudden there's a project uh, problem. They lose financing or something happens or whatever, and then that project comes to a halt, and all of a sudden he's got nowhere to send guys, and he lays off, and it happens all the time. Yep, and you can get hurt. Are you, I've been on job, two, two jobs with fatalities. Absolutely. Uh, I was doing the, the Cleveland State Engineering Building. There was a big, these big giant square granite pieces that went on the outside of the building, decorative slabs of granite. So they were, they had it on a sling and they were craning it into place. And it had these like uh, kind of carriage bolts on the back that would fit into these holes, affix itself to the facade of the building. Well, it was raining and there was a, there was a fitter working below, kind of in a trench below this. And I don't know what happened, but the laborer lost the load. And this thing is weighing several tons, came down and just cut this guy's body in half. Uh, and I was at that job. I was also at a job where actually the guy who got killed was a cousin of a guy who was in my wedding party. This guy, Craig Makovic, he was, he was cousin of Kevin O'Donnell. Kevin O'Donnell's father, Brian O'Donnell, was Danny Green's right-hand man. Danny Green, the Irish gangster that they made uh, kill the Irishman about. But anyhow, that's besides the point. That guy was going up in a lift, like an articulating lift. He's in the basket and he's got his hands on the on the throttle and it jammed and, and he had his head kind of out of the basket and it hit the overhang and just crushed his skull. That's two fatalities uh, in, in 12 years. So as far as the people you work with on the job, like what is, is there like a typical kind of background or type of person? Are there any other punks on the job? There's some guy in the Akron local uh, named Lance and he was in a band called... <laughs> piss mongrel so i'd say <laughs> i if i was a, a gambling man i'd say they're not doing chardonnay covers uh they were, <laughs> they were pretty punk and uh there's a guy in the columbus local named larry jones who has a band called uh something uh race of devils and they're they're pretty uh they're like kind of classic metal but he's like you know he grew up in hardcore and stuff so there are I mean, we're, again, we're a small trade, unlike the electricians or the fitters or the tinners or the carpenters where they have a million guys. in it. But uh, there's the typical insulator would say would be a middle class to lower middle class guy who 
maybe washed out after a few semesters of college or found it wasn't for them and and needed to, you know, kind of similar to me, needed to start making money. And and this was it, you know, and uh, kind of a rogue outfit in a way because we're, we're kind of like the insulators are always seen as like, those guys are fucking wild. You know, those guys were back in the eighties before I was ever even aware that this industry uh, existed. Those guys were known for just uh, taking nooners and showing up fucking ripped to the tits. And they were just the outlaws. They were kind of like the outlaws. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what it says about me that I ended up in this trade, but <laughs> here I am. <laughs> <laughs> and are there any, any plans to still try and get to California or are you, uh, are you happy where you're at right now? I don't, I think I'm stuck here. I mean, my parents are old and, you know, I don't, I, I would have to reestablish myself out there. I, I'm not, I don't have a wife. I don't have much of a family. So I think I'm stuck here, you know, and probably drop dead on the job, I imagine. Really, I mean, not to be a fatalist, but I, I don't see how it changes, you know. I'd like you to drop dead on stage rather yeah, than. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be much Anything more interesting. Under a porta potty. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's just, it is what it is. I mean, you try to stick around for as long as you can and have some fun and, 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 and uh, find your pleasures where you can, I guess. I mean, this isn't a horrible place to live, really. It's affordable in the summer. It's wonderful. It just, the winters are soul killing. They just, you know, in, uh, in Cleveland, this particular odd little micro ecosystem we have the fewest sunny days out of any major or even B tier city in America. The fewest sunny days. Can you fucking believe that? No, I thought it would be like Minneapolis or it's not. It's like yeah, like it's cold as well as Minneapolis, but it's at least sunny, you know? Very interesting. Yeah, so you wonder why people Yeah. Oh, well, I mean it, it it reflects on the music. I, I mean, think that really plays a part, you know. It, it, it's like fucking we have uh, uh, two seasons uh, and, and, and uh, it's like summer and orange barrel construction and that's it. Can you feel the city changing based on the jobs you're working on over the years? Oh yeah, absolutely. We don't have power plants anymore. Uh, that used to be a big thing in the nukes. Um, so we have two nukes that I could work at Davis Bessie out in Toledo and Perry out in Perry, which is far East side of Cleveland. It's not even in Cleveland, but it's probably, 45 minutes to 50 minutes away. Davis Bessie would be about 90 minutes. Uh, both those plants, we don't even we don't even purchase electricity from Perry. They sell it all out of state. Perry also was, they wanted to save Perry because they were going to mothball it. These new plants, they have a shelf life and they're nearing the end and they wanted to try to save Perry. So they passed some big giant bill, a huge, huge money grab for Perry. And it turned out the uh, the Republican uh, head of I think it was the Republican speaker in Columbus. This guy's name is Larry Householder. Turns out it was like a fucking total like uh, scandal, and he, he embezzled a hundred million dollars out of this bill. So if Perry was on life support before with this, even with this bill, they're done now. And the reason nukes and power plants are important is because um, there's all kinds of process piping in there. With insulation that's all has metal jacking over it, so jacketing. So those are fairly complicated jobs, and you're doing a lot of metal work and stuff. And when they have shutdowns, the nuke plants would have shutdowns, and typically they used to go for about anywhere from uh, six weeks to three months. And that was known as hide and seek for two grand a week because you got you'd go there and work like six tens, maybe six twelves, maybe seven tens or something, but you're not 
really working all those hours. There's a lot of sitting in the trailer, a lot. And it's kind of a honey job. It's kind of like a, you're milking it. And uh, those jobs are gone. I mean, even the shutdowns only lasted like three weeks, uh, the last couple ones. And the coal-burning, coal-fired power plants are, are fucking gone. We, we used to have all kinds of power plants and stuff like that around here. That's gone. It just doesn't exist anymore. So what, what when you do new construction, what what's the typical kind of buildings? Schools and hospitals. That's my bread and butter, schools and hospitals. And I, I don't mind it. I, I It's better than industrial, which is power plants and steel mills and stuff. That's dirty, filthy, disgusting, shitty work. I can't stand it. Did work change during the pandemic? Did you have a break from that? Did they shut down for a while or was it nonstop work the whole time? We were deemed essential. It's very, very hard to social distance and mask on a construction site. Some of our, I did sit for, I say, I was doing a job at a library, a big library that was a, a renovation. And uh, I don't know why I got laid off because there was no one else there. It was just me and the tenor. So, you know, we could have kept working, but that job shut down. So I was off for two weeks and he called me right back. And then uh, I finished up this uh, college. We were doing an addition to a college and that was right around Labor Day uh, of last year. And then I sat for like a month because we had work in the can, but it wasn't breaking because of the uncertainty uh, surrounding COVID. And uh, even when we were working ostensibly with uh, safety precautions, social distancing, hand washing stations, it's just next to impossible to do it. You're on top of the brickie who's on top of the fitter, who's on top of the carpenter, who's on top of the floor guys. It's construction, you know? So I masked up, I wore a gator. I worked as safely as I could at the job. I followed all the protocols. Uh, I fucking ran as soon as I could to the vaccine site. And uh, thank God I've, I've been safe and I haven't gotten sick. And I mean, you, you've had some uh, pre existing conditions too, right? Like uh, you had a heart attack at one time and right. You're like, yeah. So yeah. Diabetic heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I mean, it seems to be, I seem to be healthy. I go to the cardiologist and the, the endocrinologist and, uh, I just, it is what it is. I try to stay healthy and, and, and fucking roll the dice every day. So I'm sure you hear this all the time, but what about, what about writing a book? Oh, well, I have written one and it's mostly completed. And that has been my, you know, since the music is done, I'm going to focus on that and get this thing actually legitimately organized and, and edited it and then uh, release it. And then maybe I can do things like what uh, my friend Bob Surin uh, does with the crate digger and uh, that guy, Steve Miller, who wrote the Detroit Rock City book. That was well received. Uh, and, and now more and more people are writing books. And I, I don't Here's my big conundrum with that is that I started doing this a long time ago based on anecdotes I post on Facebook where people would be like, oh, you're so funny. You straight up book. Okay, <laughs> fine. Uh, the challenge is to have a story with an arc. The other challenge to me is it's one thing when you're playing in a band and saying a bunch of goofy shit and, and, and cutting your head open and jumping all over the place and people are freaking out. You have a roar of amplifiers behind you, which gives you a, a set of incredibly incredible brass balls and you have an audience that's dying for it. They're there. You don't have to, if you're halfway competent, you have these people wrapped around your fingers because they're ready. And it's just fucking chomping at the bit to rage. Now, when you put a, a book out or do spoken word, you're completely naked, you know, and you better deliver. And I second guess myself, like, who am I? I'm really no one special. Uh, who am I? That I think I should write a book. Like I'm important enough to write a book. Uh, it's self doubt and self esteem issues. Yes. But 
the, the, if I can get this thing uh, 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 dialed in to the point where you don't have to be a fan of obscure, uh, hardcore music to to be entertained by this and maybe take something away, you know, like, wow, that was fairly uh, intelligent and deep what he had to say. And at the same time, you know, you're saying it with a, with a wink uh, and, a, and a sense of uh, uh, rascally humor. That's the trick. And that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, because there's a very limited audience for talking about, uh, uh, you know, and then we fucking hit fucking uh, Nova Scotia with Rambo and played this fucking sweet gig in a field, you know. I went to Bob Surin's book reading. I went out of my way. I, I drove. I drove like an hour to get there. So I, I'd definitely go to the yours. <laughs> I also think like why why compromise now? Make it as fucking niche and, and esoteric as possible. Make people come to you in the same way you do it with music. They don't like it. Fuck them. But I mean, like they're. There's definitely that opportunity to make people understand where you're coming from. We interviewed, there's a guy who wrote a book uh, named John Fine who wrote a, band, a book called Your Band Sucks. He was in a band called Bitch Magnet. They were like a noisy indie rock you know, kind of post-punk band from the late 80s, early 90s. And no one knows his bands. No one gives a shit. But I mean, like his writing was what made the book compelling. Uh, Greg Turner from Angry Samoans just wrote a book. There's no story arc in that. It's a series of each chapter is a different essay. Like one's about him hanging out with Rocky Erickson and the next one's about being a math teacher in New Mexico, you know? So, so I think you're overthinking it too much. Yeah. I, I fast forwarded through that whole Dave Grohl documentary series, just out of fast forward through the Dave Grohl parts. It was still good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's, that's definitely one way of looking at it. I, I can't compromise too much because then it won't be a book written by me. Uh, it, it'll be written by someone trying too hard to, to uh, almost like when a band, uh, like when a boogie rock band adds keyboards, it's very obvious, you know, that they're trying to fucking go AOR. But I, I you know, what book I really love and I would like to incorporate some of this stylistic approach is there was a book called job jumper by this guy, the whiskey rebel who was in a band called, I think he was in cock news. He was one of those Confederacy of scum guys. But the book was all about all the different jobs he's had and all the anecdotes. And, and along the way, his life changes. And then this happened and that happened. I thought it was a fucking really compelling book. And uh, that interests me. Even Daniel Mahoney's books, I thought, were, were pretty interesting. Like, the bands are one thing. Yeah, okay, well, I guess I like 401 enough. But I want to hear about, like, you know, he wrote about his mother's death and these relationships. And he's turned to drinking and all this kind of stuff. That is a humanistic approach. And that's... But then again, I'm a fucking uh, sensitive, fucking sad bastard cancer. So maybe uh, I'm thinking in the wrong direction. But well, whatever. speaking of Dan, speaking of Dan, I can say with certainty that uh, no one hates his bands more than him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was always impressed by him. He's, he's a well-spoken, well-written uh, guy who says he has the gift of storytelling. Uh, so I think I'm a good storyteller. Whatever I, I end up doing it's going to come out being uniquely me for better or for worse. That depends on the reader because there's people who think uh, like I'm fucking sublime and there's people who think I'm a piece of garbage. So who knows, but that's the chance we'll take. And then if it doesn't pan out, Oh, well, at least I gave it a shot. You know, I think, maybe- I think that's success, Tony. If you got, if you got that 50, 50, I think you're, you're successful. That's how, that's how I measure it. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm kind of like, yeah, I, I, it's always been a struggle with me. Like I always like, man, my credo was, I, I, you know, I never wanted to be in a secret treehouse. I wanted like, you know, I wanted the airwaves. Like I wanted the band to play exactly the way I, I wanted to play. It's, it look exactly the way we wanted to look, but fucking get huge without any kind of compromise. And therein lies the fucking, 
the trick of the sale. You know, it's that is the balancing act. But I never wanted to be like fucking like just a, some cult band. Like I just you know, like why can't like why can't we just convert a fucking nation of non-believers into you know like fucking like a yeah, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm talking about. I just never. No, want- no, it makes it, it makes perfect sense. I mean, but you, but that's the unwillingness to compromise. I mean, you didn't do the AOR boogie rock. You didn't put out like you didn't do the Manifest Destiny Dictators album. You know, like you didn't you didn't try and like you didn't try and like you, you, you didn't recruit, way too much. You didn't recruit greatest. Mark the Animal Mendoza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's. Uh, you know, there's also a part of me that's a total opportunist where it's like, at this point, just uh, tell me who to blow because I need to, <laughs> I'm trying to buy a boat here and I need to get paid. <laughs> hey, there was two good songs on that record. So are you done? You're done completely with music. You don't think you're, you're going to do that boogie rock band or anything else. I think I'm done. I mean, How about amps to 11. I love that record. I fucking love that record. <laughs> and that band was probably like, uh, if there was any chance at like at like actually going up a level, it was either Nine Shocks, believe it or not, or Amps to Eleven. Because Amps to Eleven, we were a fucking good band, and we blew them bands we were usually booked with off the stage. We were fucking a, a good live band, and that. But the thing is, is we came out at a time right as that rock revival thing started declining. It was so big when the helicopters and Lucifer and, and Zengarill and all these good digits, all these great bands were, were doing this rock thing. And then it was like, it, it had a short shelf life. But we played, I can tell you, this is totally a shoot comment, man. We played with Nashville Pussy a couple of times and that writer was just like, how many more dates, how many dates can you do? Like jump on the tour immediately. Same with Eagles of Death Metal, same with Speed Dealer. They were all like, finish the tour, finish the tour. I'm like, I gotta go to work tomorrow, you know? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but that to me said something because we just came out and fucking three chords of cloud of dust and there was no there was no like now we're going to be in a rock band you know now we're you know because this is hot it was just they were, i think it was authentic which which made the band that good so that band maybe would have had a chance to but then it's like you got to by that time i'm established with a good job and you know a home and i'm like i can't throw this away the way i would with face value days or nine shocks and just quit jobs i just couldn't do it you know that's it kids the gig is up the cops are here and your mom is calling jails hospitals and all your friends houses wondering where you've been Tune in next week for another fascinating, mesmerizing, and absolutely unmissable episode. And be sure to get on the list and follow the boys on social media at Killed by Desk. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon. And if you enjoyed this conversation, there's tons more where this came from. For only $5 a month, you can get full episodes with each of our guests for a total of five episodes per month. Want to help us out with some gas money and to get us to the next show? We have merch and more at Killed by